it shows us just how important it is for us as a church to think missionally, that we need to actually cross cultures as we mission to young people today. We can't just assume that young Australians think like us and that when they come into the church, they're going to find that comfortable. And so we do need to actually exegete the culture, like Ian Hussey was saying last week, if we're going to reach these kids. And I think we have to sit with them and listen to them. Welcome everyone to the Shock Absorber podcast. It's fantastic to have you guys along with us, uh, whether you're listening or watching. Uh, we're here in the Third Space studio at Saw Revival Kirawi, and I am joined by two regular co-hosts. Stuart Crawshaw, how are you? Hello, Joel. Good <laughs> to see you. <laughs> good to see you too. And Tim, you're back. How are you? I'm back. I'm doing well, mate. Feeling good? Feeling good. Excellent. That's good to hear. Um, we are, uh, once again, talking about ministering in the 2010s and the 2020s. And uh, we recently had Ian Hussey on the podcast, talking about Australian culture. But we also um, then started have started looking at uh, Australian culture through the lens of Australian artists. Last episode we did Tamil and Parla, and this episode, would you guys like to introduce who we are who we are doing? Go on, Tim. Who we is? Sure. Yeah, we're uh, looking at the Chats. Yes, that's right. Um, who are a Queensland um, punk um, shed rock? I shed believe rock. They, they call them. themselves. Mm. Yeah, um, which is great. It's fun. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so punk rock, shred rock band from Queensland. Um, yeah, they're from Noosa, Noosa, I think. Noosa, yes. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so they spent a lot of time on the beach, apparently. Yeah, well, I would too if I was living yeah, in Noosa. Yeah, me too. That's, That's a good, good point. <laughs> um, so yeah, so th- we're talking about the chats because uh, they've got, uh, well, they show, uh, shine a light, I suppose, in a lot of different aspects of um, Australian culture um, and particularly sort of young Australian culture and also I think the punk rock um, nature of them and, and the, the history of punk rock gives us a bit of an insight into some of the themes we've been looking at in, in Hussey. We should also talk about um, chat, mean, which means like it comes from the saying that's chat apparently, which means it's like something terrible, disgusting. Do you guys know when that entered the lexicon of Australian culture? I can't think of it when it actually happened. I was wondering if it was a Queensland phrase even. Like, I don't know, have you heard it around? Yeah, it used to be like when I was in high school. Oh, remember? was it? Yeah, That's right. chat. Yeah, but yeah, I don't, yeah. for you, Tim, was it? No, I don't remember it being slang around my circles. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Um, uh, as we do a cultural artefact, we actually forgot to do it in the Tammy Parlor episode, but um, the cultural artefact that we've chosen to do for this particular uh, artist is a song called Pub Feed, which <laughs> we may have um, talked about in a previous episode, I think, Stu. But we did use the chats in a previous episode yeah, for the cultural artefact. But, yeah. <laughs> but Pub Feed's quite a funny song because they're all just talking about how they're fanging to have a, a chicken snit or a steak <laughs> at the pub. Um and I think it's funny that we're actually laughing at this particular artist because that's uh, like they're almost like a semi kind of joke, but they're actually artists in their own right. Um, uh, well, they, 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 yeah, they have they have a lot of fun with the Australian vernacular, don't they? So yeah. that's, that's the jokey part of it, isn't it? But then they've got some really serious messages underneath it. Hey? Yeah, exactly. Well, they have uh, quite a few of them have mullets. There's only three three in the band, but quite a few of them have mullets. But yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And the mullets aren't, in my view, this is just my personal view. Yeah. I don't think the mullets are nineteen. 80s mullets they're more like the late 1970s mullets so I, I kind of think they're the coolest if you're gonna have a mullet that's the coolest if you don't know what a mullet is it's all <laughs> business up front party out the back so it's like <laughs> having long hair and then a fringe yeah. if you like so uh, yeah there's there's been some tragic examples of that through popular culture history but I think in the 70s there was um, there was a, a particular style of mullet that was a bit more hardcore edgy um, comes from around the ACDC era and that sort of mullet is what these guys have brought back into it was, fashion. Yeah. It was very rock and roll kind of yeah, it was, yeah. feel. 
wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there was a group in the 70s called the Sharpies and they popularised that particular mullet and they were almost like a criminal underground in, in Melbourne and Sydney. I don't know if it got up to Queensland, but the Sharpies were following bands like ACDC uh, while the mainstream were following other bands like Sherbet. So there was kind of like this oh, right. edgy underground. Uh, they, they tended to be pretty... Um, full on too and they used to fight a lot and drink a lot and so you've got a bit of that sensibility coming through with the chats yeah yeah i definitely agree with that and with pub feed it's talking about um that they're keen to just get to the pub and have a drink and have a have a punt <laughs> they're just quite into so quite for people outside of australia maybe yeah. we need to define some yes, of these terms to have a, 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 a to go on the pokies usually or to have a punt on the um uh horse racing but uh, or that the that's gambling. Punting is gambling. gambling. I should say that. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's uh, right. And uh, the interesting thing is also that uh, it reminded me of how there's a thing that because pokies are such a big thing, especially in New South Wales mm. in Australia, poker machines. Mm. Uh, it reminds me of that saying, "Have a slap on the pokies too," because yeah, you just yeah. slap the button on the pokies. Yeah, yeah. What about your favourite meal at a pub? Because that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Well, they talk about the chicken schnitzel, which we call schnitters in Australia, and mm. I reckon that's my fave. Schnitty. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, I think some, I saw an interview with them. They were talking about a parmesan. It was their favourite. Yeah, parmesan is good. Yep. that's a schnitty with cheese, cheese, and, and like a, a tomato, tomato sauce. sauce. Yeah, yeah. Yep. feel like one now. Actually, as we're talking about, <laughs> what, goodness me, it's early morning for, for a chicken. Just <laughs> start the day with a parmi. Yeah. <laughs> some people do actually parmi and a, and a VB. Yeah, that's intense. Uh, pub feed. Oh, uh, look, anything at the pub. Yeah, this is where I, I have a lot of resonance with the chats over the pub feed. Do yeah, you? I, I think um, good parmi, good steak, um, the, the seafood. Yeah, some uh, salt and pepper squid would be goes down well. Salt and pepper squid. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a slightly. Um, well, it depends where you go. Well, it's, it's a newer addition to the yeah. to the regular traditional lineup, but yep. it's still yep. good. Yeah, mm. I don't know <laughs> if the chats would approve. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe and not. For, for people overseas too, a pub is a hotel. So Australians call the hotel a pub. It's like a public house. Is that what it could that's yes, a, that's yeah, right. I think yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And this is the really, one of the really interesting things is as I mean they've just recently Joe, you've got the history, but they they're starting to expand beyond Noosa, mm-hmm. um, and so so many of their songs just have fully adopted um, the Australian language, the slang, the vernacular, the culture. Um, it'll be really interesting to watch. If, do they continue to grow and do they resonate with American audiences particularly um, without having to change much of their language? Mm-hmm. Um, we've had you know, things like uh, In the Castle as a movie is a great example of um, a film that embraced Australian culture so much and yeah, you know, it kind of translated, but not really into the American context. Um, we've got, you know, Kath and Kim was a TV show, which yeah. again was just so deeply Australian and everything it did. And they tried to remake it in America with different actresses and, and keep the same thing. It just didn't work because there was so much about it that is Australian and resonates with our culture that doesn't necessarily translate. I was reminded you had uh, in a previous episode, you talked about how we talked about how um, with Ian Hussey, actually, that... Uh, and you were talking to an American pastor and he was saying, I forgot how different Australian mm. culture was to American. You're more like the British culture. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I was thinking as as you were both talking about that, as Tim, as you were saying about um, Australian culture not always making sense in other cultures. Like mm. I think we do import a lot of our culture, but we don't export a whole heap. However, within music, that's one of the 
big things we have exported. Uh, so we exported ACDC, they were massive. There was a lot of bands in the 80s that mm. made it in excess. Big. In excess is another mm. good example. Um, but also beyond the music industry, you've also got, I was just thinking as you were talking about Australian comedians that are, were able to um, make a success in America. And the only one I can really think of is Paul Hogan with Crocodile Dundee in the 80s. That was a massive hit. And uh, I think if Australians present themselves as, you know, there's heaps of kangaroos hopping around and we're bush people out in the in the bush with shrimp knives. Shrimp on the barbie. Shrimp, yeah, well, that's a good example because, like, even Paul Hogan that was able to translate into the American audience when he did that ad for uh, Australia – the Australian Tourism, Tourism was it? Commission, yeah. he uh, said, oh, come over to Australia and have, instead of having a prawn on the barbecue, he said have a shrimp on the barbecue. Americans call prawns shrimps. We call them prawns. So, yeah, he's tossing some prawns on the barbecue and all the Australians that watched that ad, I remember back in the 80s, were like offended at Paul Hogan. He lost <laughs> credibility with really? us because he changed it. Uh, but I think in America and England, there's a bit more cross-Atlantic um, adaption to uh, culture that... Uh, that happens there but I think since the 70s and the 80s Australia has entered into a bit of a dynamic where there's a little bit of cultural interchange with America and England but not very much but yeah bands will keep going over to America because it's a bigger audience and they're going to get a lot more money if they get successful and they can cut it over there uh, as we said ACDC become a world phenomenon and massive in Europe and and particularly in America, but then the Angels, who were the same time, they didn't actually cut it in America, so it's really hit and miss, I think, when you see bands go overseas to see if they can make it. Yeah. It goes right back to when the Easy Beats went over to London in the 60s. They were probably one of the first iconic Australian rock bands, and they didn't really make much impact. But uh, later, as I said, ACDC, whose songs were written by some of the members, the younger brothers of... Uh, George Young. Yeah, right. George Young. Um, actually have a con really strong connection with the Easy Beat. So they mm. kind of had two hits at it. And when they and George Young and Harry Vander, they had a lot to do with getting um, ACDC out they into, did. The, into the, they pu did. the public so sphere. So maybe they learnt from their first exploration. But mm. what what's interesting is the chats are part of a long tradition of Australians mm. connecting with Australian audiences and then, okay, will it, like you said, will it connect overseas? Mm. Uh, fascinating to watch. Yeah, and they're, they're a fascinating band because, they, as I said, they're a three-piece from... Uh, Noosa, who play Shed Rock, <laughs> as they like to call it. Um, uh, they, their first EP was actually recorded at their high school. So they only have three uh, pieces of recording that they've put out. So they've got 2016 EP, which is just called The Chats, which was recorded at their high school. 2017 EP was called Get This In Ya, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is really where they entered the public, uh, uh, public knowledge through the song Smoko. So that was apparently a, a song that they just wrote, perhaps in a, in about a day, I believe they said. But then they also said that when they when they filmed the uh, music video, it was just like they just knew someone and they just filmed it on the beach and they filmed it in his bedroom. Um, if you actually end up watching it, um, it's typically budget and fits their image. So there's a there's a um, there's a line in the song where it says, so it's Tuesday morning and my center link hasn't come through, so I pick up the phone because I've got some abusing to do. But all I get is elevator music waiting on the line on hold all the time. And while he's doing that, he opens up his computer to look at his center link and it just has a piece of paper there saying, Seno, zero bucks. It's <laughs> <laughs> just written on there. So, so again, there's all these acronyms, eh? like Centerlink, Seno. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, all the different words they're using are shortened words, which in Australia we love to do that. And mm. so I think that connects with the Australian audience really quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, a couple of quotes here from uh, 
that has said that A and R when they they signed for Universal Music when and that's seen the release of their first proper album, which is in 2020, uh, called High Risk Behavior. Uh, the A and R rep for Universal Music, who signed them, said they are perfect. Th- they have three-minute nuggets about everything, everyday things that are so obvious they can only be genius, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. And High Risk Behavior is named after the drummer uh, who used to get done for by the police for skateboarding in public. They just wrote on the ticket High Risk Behavior, and NME called it the perfect soundtrack to being bored, broke, and optimistic, which is rather interesting because they do talk about a lot of things to do with Australian culture, as we said. Um, pub feed is one of the things we can go back to. Uh, Smoko, which is like a, a very uh, used a lot on uh, job sites when you're having a break and it's like it's time for Smoko. Um, to have a cigarette. Which is to have a cigarette at the, as a break, as your morning break, it's called Smoko. So they still call it, I work at, um, my other job is at a building company and they still call it Smoko, but I think there's only like one person in the company who smokes. So it's rather interesting they still call it Smoko. Um, anything else that you guys think is kind of interesting about them, we can kind of get into the theme, more of the themes that they talk about. So I, I think it's really cool, as you referenced with Smoko, that they're picking up elements of Australian culture that go back a long way, but it's probably picking up the fact that there still are some elements of Australian culture that uh, despite the fact that we've... Um, modernized so much since the 80s and we've become more of a multicultural society and there's there's a whole heap of changes that are taking place in our education systems on tv and radio there's still uh, a sensibility an australian sensibility that they seem to have um, hooked into that young people still really love so i find that really interesting that there's uh, not this sense that oh well that old australia is completely gone so smoko there's something there's one of the songs i can't remember which one it was where he's sitting on a Esky while he's fixing up the you know, there's all these references to pop cultural icons that are very Australian and yeah I think that's a really fascinating element to their music which I find myself laughing at I mean this is probably when we said we're going to do the chats this is my favorite episode I think from this season because <laughs> I was like I just find myself smiling I mean they're profane they're anti-religious they're anti-institutional and uh, they're all those things but they they've got this this uh whimsical nature to their music that I find quite appealing which is Again, like we've said before, that there's elements of culture that you can embrace and elements of culture you can can critique. I've I've always found the affable Australian iconic um, sort of images quite quite appealing. So going to a pub, sitting down, eating, you know, chips and a a schnitter and having a beer, it's just so simple, but it's... It's just really appealing, yeah. It's like really cold beer on a summer's day. They just seem to be able to bring all of all of those um, iconic Australian uh, moments out in their music, yeah. Do you think they're trying to bring those elements that you're talking about of Australian culture into the present? Because we even talked about David Bowie saying, oh, it's time for me to hand on to the new artist. Do you think that is it almost like a thing we need to maintain these parts of Australian culture to maintain our identity and then we can... But we're also modern, so like they're bringing back mullets, for example, and mullets have become super fashionable in younger mm. teenage men. Yeah, they have because <laughs> um, I think a lot of the footy players do it. But then a lot of the guys at, again at my work are all like, a lot of them have mullets. Um, there's also that that apathy, of course. Like it doesn't, nothing really matters. I thought that was really interesting, and everything's a joke. So it's also maybe you were talking about those uh, positive aspects of Australian culture that we really identify with. But you've also talked about Stu of there's a there's a shadow of a lot of things and i find that sometimes with everything's a joke or we don't care it's it's almost like a a, a way of 
not having to deal with the hard things in life. Um, and I feel like they ca- they capture that a little bit too. It's like if I'm just if I just act like I don't care, I don't have to deal with going going through those things. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's interesting about that is there are a number of uh, sociologists are starting to identify that amongst young people, um, there's this sense that there's so much change in society because of technology, with social media and the internet, and so many new ideas that are coming into our uh, world these days. Like we've been exploring through this season that there is a harking back amongst young people as well now, that there's a, there's a growing sense of traditionalism where young people are looking back to the past for to rediscover something simpler, I think. And so for me, I think this punk sensibility that the chats have, they call it shared music. Once upon a time, it would have been called garage music. Mm. So they've kind of redefined it for their um, context, which I think is really cool. But they've also got this tip of the hat to garage music and just really simple three-minute songs is what the Ramones were doing back in the mm. 70s. It's what the six Sex Pistols were doing um, in London. It's what um, Iggy Pop and the Stooges were really pioneering in the early 70s. So a little later on we can come go back and have a look at some of that. But The Clash, uh, the, these kind of bands were, they, they, they were simple but then they were also giving voice to people who didn't have a voice and I think what's interesting about the chats is I wonder if they're giving a voice to a certain population within the Australian community that is really resonating with it they don't hear their voices anymore on tv I mean you know Paul Hogan once upon a time was a uh, he was a iconic Australian comedian he came from painting the Sydney Harbour Bridge to uh, international fame and so there was a whole heap of working class Australians that really resonated with that and probably heard their voice Uh, are the chats doing a similar thing maybe not on quite the same level but there's there's a sense where yeah some some things in Australian culture have remained despite the changes so the pub has changed dramatically, which we'll, again we'll get to, and I think the chats explore it when they talk about gambling, how the poker machines or the pokies have replaced mm. live music in mm. clubs uh, as the main uh, stay of pub uh, source of income. Source of income. Um, so, so there's a whole, but gambling itself is so Australian that you know people uh, really resonate with it as well. So, there's a real interesting juxtaposition of current. Um, political problems in their music but also uh, this harking back to a simpler time and I think some people just love singing along yeah smoko they might not even smoke but they they somehow resonate with that it's still part of their culture Mm, it's like harking back to like you said a simpler time yeah Um, what does punk like you guys are both fans of punk music in different forms what does that represent to you I I think at one level and I'd love to hear what Tim thinks because Tim you're mainly into 90s punk Mm. but I got into punk uh, I, I grew up in the 80s and punk had already kind of died by the time I was a teenager but I, re- I, I discovered it with a lot of my friends and we got into The Clash first and then uh, The Ramones and Sex Pistols and there was a band that we really loved called Radio Birdman back in that was uh, from the late 70s and they're iconic Australian surf punk band and still remain my favourite Australian band to this day but it wasn't just Radio Birdman there were The Saints as well uh, The Saints actually tried to make it in England didn't quite cut it it was something about the fact that Aussies from Queensland going over uh, from a really warm climate who were surfers going into the dark underworld of punk music in uh, London they didn't really connect but um, punk music in America and England were feeding off each other it kind of died off in America uh, with CBGB's 
which was a venue in New York sort of hitting its straps but then sort of starting to fade away. Did release bands like Talking Heads and a number of other acts like Blondie and others. But um, when the Sex Pistols came along in London, it was almost like the Americans rediscovered punk music. And so there was this, like I talked about earlier, there's a transatlantic cultural interchange between America and England that was really obvious in those early days of punk music. And it became commercially successful for quite a while. And the Australian uh, punk scene did have this more laconic, laid-back attitude towards it. Uh, but interestingly, uh, in some punk circles, there's there's this real focus on um, fun and energy rather than just anger at the institution. But what you get in punk music is in Australia is a combination of both. So with Radio Birdman, it was more fun punk. The Saints had more fun and angry at the same time. I mean, the Saints had a song called Know Your Product, which was a real angry protest song against commercialism and materialism. So there's, what, what punk does is it holds a mirror up to society. It's a rusty, faded old mirror, and it doesn't set itself up as some kind of better alternative to society, but it's, um, it's, it's a music genre that just exposes the dark underbelly of society, if you like. So the Sex Pistols in uh, the early 80s um, went on a barge down the Thames in London on the Queen's 25th Jubilee singing God Save the Queen and her fascist regime on the loudspeakers and they were saying the Queen has no future. So they were saying, what is monarchy anyway? Like it's, it's just rubbish. So the Sex Pistols are a good example of nihilism and the English punk rock scene was very nihilistic. There was lots of bands that were uh, exposing uh, negative things but then when The Clash came along, uh, they also provided an alternative uh, that other bands hadn't because they got together with the Rastafarians in London and got brought reggae music together with punk music. And that became a huge cultural uh, moment because then all of a sudden reggae music hit the mainstream across the world uh, and you get reggae coming in into a whole heap of different things. But that really brought young um, white and black uh, English teenagers and young adults together like nothing else ever had. So they did build an alternative in that moment. In Australia, it was more, uh, the pub scene was massive in the late 70s and early 80s and punk music was an edge of that pub scene. And so I think again, with the chats there, I think they're vibing more the the Australian mm-hmm. punk sensibility rather than the English or American. Um, the Ramones, who were the Americans, they were, they were also a bit more fun and just chaotic but then you also get people like Patti Smith from CBGB's who was like a modern poet who was also critiquing um, I suppose critiquing modern capitalism but with the Australian punk, uh, punk scene uh, the, the, the yeah just that fun let's have fun who cares what anyone thinks of us let's uh, just laugh at all authority so it's, as Hussey would say it's very anti-establishment but that's how I think the chats fit for me in that earlier scene uh, to punk. Tim, what do you think about the 90s punk scene that you are part of? Yeah, so um, as I got into 90s punk, so the, the, the bands that I was getting into um, in my teenage years were, you know, The Offspring, Green Day, Blink-182, MXPX, um, and those kind of bands. And I think what I, what I was noticing about, my brother's three years older, so he was into a lot more of the sort of the Gen X bands, the, the Pearl Jams and... Yeah, grunge um, music. Grunge music. Uh, and I think as I looked at that music, um, it was really angsty and emotive in a way that um, just didn't resonate with me. Um, and so I think, you know, I'm kind of in that cusp. I'm not quite Gen X. I'm not quite Gen Y. I'm somewhere in the middle. Um, 
And so I listen to you know Stone Temple Pilots and Pearl Jam, and it just it doesn't resonate the the themes and the the feeling uh, the vibe of it all. Whereas I think yeah the nineties punk the skate punk that I was into very much had that fun kind of aspect, and that's what I really liked. I liked that it was it was fun, it was jovial, it didn't take things seriously. Um, there was an end of the establishment edge as well, which we can talk about, um, but. Yeah, as you engage with all of those different aspects, it was there was a a fun about it. I think that's really true. That there was, uh, it was really great to get together. You know, you yeah, you, know, you, you mosh and you go crazy, and the music's kind of uplifting, but it still has that critical edge. And so there were there are aspects of all those music which has the protest element still like green day well yeah so green day's um american idiot is a really great example so it's a whole album um which was very Mm. critical of the bush era um and the things that were going in there you've got aspects of uh the offsprings albums where they're critiquing different aspects of society the album americana is um attacking or yeah critiquing the sort of just suburban American, the pretty fly for a white guy. Pretty fly for a white guy is a great example. Um, the kids aren't all right. Mm. Uh, songs like that, where they just saying you, you've got this suburban gloss on America, um, and that's not actually the way it is. Actually, we're corroding from the inside, and so there's a, a passionate plea from the youth to say that we're not actually coping here. Uh, and Blink-182 have a few songs like that as well. A lot of the early Blink-182 was very much like the chats. It was just, it was silly and it played up, um, you know, being hedonistic, lots of drinking and drugs and sex. And then when they started to get serious, that was what they were critiquing, was this, you older generation, you're not seeing that we're actually dying on the inside here. As adolescents, we're not coping. We're not coping with the high rates of divorce. We're not coping with the um, consumerism that you think you're blessing us with but we're actually dying on the inside and so there was a lot of that that was being pushed out again uh, so that was there, there is that social edge to that punk scene as well but yeah the frivolity that it came with i think rather than the angstiness of the gen x bands um, there was the doing it in that frivolous way and laughing themselves along the way was i guess what resonated with me more than some of those older bands yeah i had a really sad experience uh, around that time uh, green day had a song called uh, hope you had the time of your life mm. and uh it's a a really sad lament really to the sort of thing mm. themes that you're talking about tim uh there was a really tragic occurrence that took place at um in the sutherland shire where we live where a young 16 year old had been out partying with his mates and living the green day dream really and uh, unfortunately he lost his life when he was hit by a car and it was incredibly tragic and the funeral was massive there's heaps of people went to the funeral and I went along to the funeral and it was quite poignant because uh, this young person didn't have a faith and his friends had put up a Green Day poster with a big marijuana leaf on it in front of the church that had hosted it wasn't at our church but it was at another church and um, this poster was put up and they basically played I hope you had a the time of your life by green day and i was thinking far out that's so um dreadfully sad that there was no hope in that uh, moment that the the music had offered fun and and it was almost like a celebration of eternal youth but what happens when eternal youth fades and that was obviously a dramatic moment where it had faded quite instantly 
in, in, in the congregation, there was a great deal of soul searching amongst a lot of people. And after the service, a lot of young people who weren't Christians just talked to me about Jesus and were starting to search. So I think what's interesting for me about punk music is I don't think it's an end in itself. I think sometimes people who get into punk music then ask the question, so what's the next thing? What What is there to offer? Because it is so nihilistic that punk music doesn't really pretend to offer anything other than a critique really at its most basic, I think. I mean, there might be others who might want to jump online and talk about that, but it's, it's just about the moment and what happens after that moment is something where I think we can speak into as Christians. Uh, we can talk about that a bit more later, but yeah, that's something I find interesting. Yeah, one of the things that also, so after the 90s punk um, came the emo music, which really resonated with a lot of the romanticism a few centuries ago. And it was interesting because... Like the new gothic scene, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the new... Yeah, absolutely. So there was this, this gothic sensibility where punk music is rebelling against the, the structures and it is anti-institutional in a way that, you know, let's, let's kick over tables and let's cause a scene and let's um, be angry at the world. So there's those kinds of themes. Whereas the emo, the, the gothic and, and the romanticism from centuries ago turns out inwards um, and says, well... The world, if the world has is letting me down, has no hope, then all I can do is turn inward um, and look at myself. And so uh, that was another thing that didn't resonate with me. As bands like My Chemical Romance and others, where it was all about turning inwards and thinking, well, I'll just sit here with my sadness, um, didn't resonate because again, that the nihilism becomes complete at that point, and the only thing I've got is myself. Mm. Whereas the punk sensibility still has that I'm raging against the system, and there might be some change that comes out of that. I'm actually rebelling so that we can institute change. And I think there's still, um, yes, a nihilism, but maybe a glimmer of hope that says, you know, maybe mm. if we cause enough ruckus that we can create a change and the change that is needed. Uh, whereas emo seems to have almost given up on the hope of change and so all I've got is myself. Yeah, I'm thinking of a Christian punk band as you're talking about that, MXPX, and they've got a great song, um, Teenage Politics, Too Confusing. They sing that and I remember watching uh, a whole room full of people moshing to Teenage Politics. It's almost like this uh, moment where everyone's like together in, in punk music. It's not necessarily individualistic, I'm alone by myself. I remember one, uh, another, again, another young teenager in the 90s, uh, who said to me once, she said, I, when I listen to punk music, I feel really alone, but I feel alone with everyone else. <laughs> and I think what you're saying with with uh, emo that came later was was very, you know, isolating. Yep. But there's this fun where we can say teenage politics is very confusing, but at least we're all here together <laughs> and let's have fun. Yep. So it's that, interesting that a, a number of, of albums later, um, MXPX released, their single was uh, Responsibility and line you know, responsibility not yet mm. and here are these you know late 20s maybe early 30s by that stage singing about oh let's not have responsibility let's again it goes back to that let's just be frivolous yeah. um, and not take things too seriously yeah i still see people my age with t-shirts every now and again that say skateboarding is not a crime written on them and i think that that's still some people still carrying that on for a <laughs> long time isn't it yeah i mean i wonder if that if you can bring it back to the chats and around those uh concepts that you're talking about um the, the bass player and the frontman, Eamon Sandwith, is his name. He said, we don't make songs for people to look at in an emotional or intellectual way. We just make songs for people to jump around and have fun to. Mm. But I think that's part of that frivolous thing you're talking about. But then there's also that the way they are doing it seems to have a, you know, elements of nihilism and elements of there's no hope. 
um, that the youth are crying out for certain things. Uh, the the chats didn't really get political, except um, that the frontman wrote a song about the bushfires at some point. But um, I'm just wondering if 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 we are looking at the these artists uh, talking about certain parts of the culture, what is the church's response to these kind of things? So if if the if the chats are talking about drinking and gambling um, and not really caring about stuff. Apathy is something that um, Ethan brought up on the podcast last week. Loneliness is another thing that... Loneliness is a thing that we talked about in the last uh, episode around Tame Impala that he, Kevin Parker, the writer of all that music, brings up. What do you guys think is the uh, church's response to those kind of things? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I think the good thing about the chats is... Uh, Again, you see some anti-religious themes. You see some anti-government themes, criticising Scott Morrison for his response to the, the bushfires. Uh, what uh, the song where he's, they're describing getting kicked out of a pub? Um, a drunken disorderly. Drunken That's disorderly. Them, yep. Yeah, and oh, keep and the grubs out. Yeah, no, keep the grubs out is what I'm thinking about. And they describe themselves as grubs. So they they're saying the manager of this pub says to them instantly when they walk into the pub, you've got bad haircuts, you guys are grubs, you're trouble, you're, you're out of here, you know, I'm not even going to yeah. give you a chance. Come back when you get a haircut. I yeah, think. come yeah. back when you get a haircut. And I think, I think the jarring nature of the chats for us as Christians is a lot of young people probably think we're like the manager in that song, that we're probably going to look at them and go, get out of our church, you're grubs. And so they assume that we're going to think they're grubs. And so that's jarring. And actually when you talk to a lot of young people, they will kind of be a bit awkward and think am I just about to get in trouble because a lot of people see the church as people who are going to get them into trouble the, the church doesn't agree with their drinking their gambling um, their uh, their attitudes towards sex their their attitudes towards life really and so I think we can actually delve into some of those issues a bit more deeply to ask ourselves the question what what is the church's response to each of those different issues but I think the first thing to take into account is that when we're dealing with young people young Australians not not all young Australians listen to the chats but there is a lot of young people that get um, into this music because it's a very popular subculture within our country still and amongst a lot of young Australians particularly a lot of uh, uh, Anglo-Australians listen to this kind of music and I think sometimes to me they can uh, sometimes be the hardest to talk to about Jesus because it's almost like our culture in general has already rejected the church for many decades and this is the late, latest iteration of describing that rejection and so that it's almost a, a done deal now it's like well you're here you're institutional we're young people we're anti-institutional we have nothing in common and when you look at it the culture of the church and the culture of the songs that the chats sing about is so vastly different if you listen to the music in the church the things we sing about is honoring god and talking about love and care stuff like that they're talking about having a smoko being treated like grubs they're talking about uh, getting sexual transmitted diseases Uh, they're talking about being arrested by the police they're talking about drink driving they're talking about all these different things and i think it just it, it shows us just how important it is for us as a church to think missionally that we need to actually cross cultures as we mission to young people today we can't just assume that young australians think like us and that when they come into the church they're going to find that comfortable and so we do need to actually exegete the culture like ian hussey was saying last week if we're going to reach these kids and i think we have to sit with them and listen to them and this is the part of the shock absorber that we've been 
repeating many times, but it's really relevant today that if we're going to understand kids, we need to be places not just to talk to them, but to be at places where they're at to, to just to listen to what they talk about. And, you know, where do young people hang out? If you're down at the beach and you see a group of young people, some Christian adults will go across the other side of the you know, the path to not have to walk through the young people. Maybe sit on a park bench next to them and just listen to the kind of stuff they're talking about and maybe try to talk to them, say, oh, hi, how are you going? And, and what are you guys up to? And ask them what they do. And uh, obviously in appropriate ways in public. But that, that sort of is really important for us as Christians. I think our culture is so far removed from this world. It's, it's absolutely so stark. It's night and day. So I think... I think we can talk about reaching Christian teenagers who predominantly still have a, a Christian culture, but when you look outside of this very small group of Christian teenagers, it's a very different world. And we have to ask ourselves some really big questions. How does the church um, talk to these kids? How do, they, how do we listen to these kids? And, but yeah, the shock absorber says young people are the cultural shock absorbers. And we need to listen to our teenagers too. How do you talk to your non-Christian friends? What sort of things do they talk about? Uh, I'm always fascinated to talk to my son Elijah about what sort of things he and his friends talk about. So even if you find it too threatening to talk to young people outside of the church, you can talk to some of our young people about what are teenagers like today? What sort of things do they care about? Or if that's even too threatening, listen to the chat. <laughs> Go on iTunes, listen to their songs. It's quite confronting because you'll actually be... If you take notes at some of the things that they're talking about, how widely different they see the world to the gospel is is quite striking. So, yeah, I mean, I might be um, going on a bit there, but I'm actually thinking it's a really important point to think the chats actually, I think, show us that young people in Australia are drifting further and further away from the church all the time, every generation. I mean, back in... 2008 I think it was the Catholic Church did a survey called the spirit of Gen Y and in that survey they found that uh, at the time Gen Y's were less spiritual than Gen X's or the baby boomers and they predicted that that would continue that trend that young people would become less and less spiritual and I think the chats are a good example of the fact that yeah that 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 trajectory is continuing and we need to understand that because not only are young people anti-institutional or anti organized religion like they used to be in my generation uh, there was still a sensibility towards spirituality with my generation people would talk about new age religions or other religions but the spirit of gen y found in the 2008 that young people were not only less interested in organized religion they're actually less interested in spirituality altogether so our young people are becoming more and more secular and less and less spiritual and i think that's what the chats highlight yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, the, they have a song called Do What I Want, which is, highlights that very fact. Of it's, it's more individualist, as we talked about uh, with Ian Hussey as well, but also um, these, these particular issues that are important, but ones that we perhaps don't identify with as much. The chats are trying to talk about, we just want to have fun, but then still trying to recall things of the Australian culture and then bring it all back to say, well we're all just having a laugh anyway, <laughs> which is, is an interesting way of looking at Australian culture. I feel like it's a new version of that 70s, 80s, 90s culture in Australia. Um, I, uh, what it makes me think of is um, if you've ever seen the, the Instagram account called Brown Cardigan, where it's just videos that people find of people doing silly things. Um, there's also the Inspired Unemployed with a couple of guys that do skits about 
um, Australian culture. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, though, is they bring up uh, gambling quite a lot, and I believe that has gradually increased. I, I was doing a little bit of research in Australian gambling, and apparently the first time uh, gambling happened was on a horse race in 1810 in Australia. So it's been, it's been around for a while. But I did see in... Um, that was probably organised gambling too. I reckon it would have been happening underground a lot longer that's than that. Oh, that's yeah, probably yeah. very, very true. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I was just looking at some stats from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, who's a, it's a, um, a policy department of uh, the Australian government. And in 2018-2019, Australians lost approximately $25 billion on only legal forms of gambling. So there's probably it's probably a fair bit more if there's um, illegal forms of gambling. But as you um, alluded to earlier, Stu... Uh, approximately in New South Wales, there's approximately 95,800 poker machines, um, which, as you also said, killed the killed the music scene in the pubs. Um, but that is a state and a statistic only beaten by Nevada, where Las Vegas is, which is really just a casino um, town. And uh, between 2017 and 2018, New South Wales clubs made a net profit of one trillion. $1.9 trillion, and the hotels also made a net profit of $1.1 trillion from pokies, just just pokies alone. And since 1982 up to 1997, it's the uh, proportion of household disposable income spent on gambling has doubled, from one or almost doubled, from 1.7% to 3.2%, and that comes from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. So... What I've also observed with also some particularly younger men is how easy it is to bet now because you can do it on your phone. Mm -hmm. So you've got gambling apps. It's a huge problem. Yeah, and so you've got gambling apps and you can just go, well, I've got some money in my account. I'll just put a bet on this this particular sport or this particular game or if it's horse racing. Um, But I also think the darker side of that, as we talk about before with particular issues, is that it's easy to hide if you've got a gambling issue there too. It's just on your phone. Not many people touch your phone except for yourself. So if you're going to perhaps delve into gambling quite a bit, it's quite easy to do so. Um, Tim, have you got any thoughts on that? Like not just gambling, but we talked about how does the church respond to that. Uh, The chats are bringing up things like gambling or we just go have a slap on the pokies. What would you say the the way that the church should try and understand that? She's talked about listening to younger people. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I think part of that, in order to listen, you have to be in proximity with them. Um, and one of the problems that we will have as a church is if the, these young people are expressing anti-establishment, anti-institutionalism, then, and they see us as an institution, then we could ask the question, okay, what would it be like if they walked through our doors? The reality is they're not going to. Mm. Um, very literal, it'd be very surprising if any of the, the chats in the world that they live in actually walked through a church door. Uh, and so it might be great to have welcoming cultures and um, great ministries where you're, you're ready to listen as they walk in, but the expectation that they'll come into the door um, may be far-fetched. And so we have to be thinking as churches, if we're going to be uh, missional, and we talked about this last season, you know, Chap Clark's... Um, material on that what is it actually going to be like for us to be out in the community so that we are actually engaging with these young people in a way that is in their world Um, because if we're just inviting people into our space hoping that they'll come to us you know if if we build it they will come um, it's probably not going to be the case for a lot of these 
young people. Um, and one of the things that they're, they're striving for is um, hope. They're, they're striving for um, truth. You know, the whole pursuit of hedonism is about how do I get the, the best out of this life? And if we truly believe that Jesus and the gospel offers the best um, life, you know, this is actually, you know, Jesus said, I came to give life to the full then we need to be able to provide that to them in a space where they're able to be. So we need to be thinking about how do we actually get into proximity with these young people? Um, and what does that look like? And, and to think creatively about how do we actually do that as, as individuals, as a church, so that we can actually bring the gospel to them, that we can reconcile ourselves to them and them to Christ and be advocates for that. Mm, I think the, the concept of hope that you talked about, Stu, is really for me it feels like really important it's that we talked about the nihilism of punk music and how a lot of people may be feeling like that if the if the chats are, are bringing that out of the culture um tim's talking about being missional Stu. what do you think in terms of how we can be more missional in in that respect there's a really big barrier that we don't often talk about in the church to us and the people who listen to the chats and it is a class barrier so the church tends to be quite middle class in Australia and so we have middle class sensibilities and we have middle class behaviours and we have middle class sins. So working class sins are often a lot more public and a lot more, uh, you, you were talking before Joel about uh, betting on a football game on an iPhone, that's, that's more of a middle class way of gambling and a private way of sinning whereas uh, working class sins can often be celebrated and very public so to, to go down to a local pub with your mates you you publicly walk into a bar you go in you publicly go in to the pokies and you, you sit there while everyone can see you gambling and you often share your wins and losses publicly too you see people celebrate when they occasionally yeah. win and <laughs> and also drown their sorrows when they don't um, people sit there watching the horse races together in public and fill out their bets and place them. They have Kino coming up in their pubs. Uh, these, these are uh, predominantly working class pursuits and working class recreational activities that a lot of middle class Christians would see as, as sinful and would not uh, condone, uh, although there is a difference between Catholic perceptions on that and Protestant perceptions. I mean, Catholic clubs, you have pokies in the Catholic clubs. I went club men I last week for dinner with some friends and, and there were all the pokies in this Catholic club, which is an anathema to many Protestants. But what we've got here with uh, this kind of, I suppose, public display of sinfulness, you know, smoking uh, is considered a, a working class sin by a lot of Christians these days. They'd find it uncomfortable if someone lit up a cigarette uh, outside a church. Um, the, the rowdiness of the young kids in this band is also something that would be considered like a very benign but a working class sin. It's, like, it's not very polite, it's not very functional, it's not very um, educated, it's, it's very raw and enthusiastic and those kind of emotions don't always sit well in, in the calm sort of serenity of a, uh, a sacred space where Christians gather and do important things. So having a bunch of young people coming and disrupting that uh, moment is is actually you know an anathema so i think i think if i mean one of the things we need to think about is how do we create our spaces to be more organic 
before and after our gatherings, I think, so that we actually do hang out and be human and just have social time together so that if people do come along, like you were saying, Tim, there is a space where they can be social with us and we can get mm. to know them and they can get to know us. It's not all straight-up formality because at the moment uh, a lot of our churches will start on time and then there'll be all this corporate worship, which is terrific, and we have corporate worship in our setting too, but it's often stylistic and symbolic and highly 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 focused on educated people and so it's sort of really difficult for for people like uh people who would go to the pokies and and their worship is they're worshiping other things and other idols but the way they're used to doing that is um together and funnily enough um when they come into our context there's a good chance they may feel judged even if they're not and even if they're not consciously judged they may be um you know, there might be looks of derision that are cast their way. I mean, I remember a bunch of uh, kids who'd just come past uh, our church one day at Kirrawee. Uh, now, admit, admittedly, our church is a factory, so it doesn't look like a church. Mm. And so the young people came along to check out what's this place with all these people here. And they came cruising down the driveway. They'd been drinking. Some of them had been smoking drugs. They were laughing and carrying on and they were swearing. And some of them were vaping, which is a lot more common amongst young people these days than smoking. They're coming down. But our youth leaders, instead of looking, oh, hang on, what's this threat coming down? They, they went out straight to them and met them halfway down the driveway and said, hey, do you guys want to play basketball with us? And they're like, yeah, basketball, why not? So there was this kind of sense, chat sensibility of might as well play basketball at this moment. Right now they got that and they were mm. able to connect with that. And so even though they didn't know these kids personally or what, what they were thinking in their world, they got a sense from uh, the fact that they just thought, let's just hang out. So they shot hoops with these kids for about, 45 minutes and then they left and then one or two of them every now and again come back and visit because it wasn't a hostile reception it was a very welcoming thing mm. and there was something known for them to go from the known to the unknown of church and so if we can create spaces in our church with our architecture that aren't uh, cultural walls to people that they don't look at that and go oh I wouldn't be welcome in there you know this is a, we're talking about smoko and pub feeds and all these great Australian terms well another great Australian saying is Oh, I wouldn't go into a church because the roof would fall in if I went into a church. <laughs> and that's a real Aussie way of saying I'm not good enough to be there and if I went into that building the, the whole thing would collapse because I'm so evil and corrupt. I would corrupt them. And, they, and you know, we would say with the gospel, of course we're all sinners. We're, we all need Jesus. But what I think a lot of young people in Australia see is they think we think they're sinners and we think that we're perfect and that we judge them. So mm -hmm. I think that sort of conversation that we're having around that is really helpful mm. yeah the you, the class um question is a really interesting one as well because we it's been you know all throughout church history there's the question about what is gospel and what is culture mm. um and you know we, we sort of look back on um the the missions that came out of the uk uh, mm. a number of centuries ago and we can see quite obviously the aspects that were more English and colonial than they were Christian. Um, but we can often be blind to our own ways of saying the, the gospel I'm presenting is just the gospel, isn't it? It's, it's pure and clean. And actually, we can actually be masking a number of middle class mm. questions and assumptions and, as you say, sins or holiness. Which, we, which middle class people often do privately rather than publicly. Absolutely, yeah, yeah that's Drink right. Drink privately at home. I think there's a big problem with pornography use amongst middle class people. Yep, the they wouldn't go to a, they wouldn't go to a strip show. They wouldn't do that, but they would 
still indulge in all those things privately and then come and have a public face that looks a lot more presentable. Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So when we – I think it's, it's part of what it will mean to – you know, we, we talk about intergenerational ministry, but, it, you know, an intercultural, interclass, you know, ministry mm. that actually has people from – all of those who are able to speak into and critique. We had a, a lovely friend of ours when I was um, children's minister at a previous church um, who was um, much more lower socioeconomic than the rest of the church. And she was wonderful because she could really gently say to me, you've just asked families to do this, this and this, which costs this amount of money. I don't have that amount of money. And so you need to think carefully about the things that you're assuming families can afford. Uh, and it was really great because she was, uh, we were such good friends that she could say, we can't afford this. Um, and there may be other families who can't afford this who might not be comfortable enough to come and tell you, but you're making middle-class assumptions. You're assuming the kids can afford this, you know, $100 camp and then this couple of hundred dollars here and then this here. Um, and there's, that's not the reality for all the families in our suburb. Uh, and that was a really helpful critique because we had someone who was in a socio different socioeconomic class who was able to, push back and critique and by listening to her that was the shock absorber that was going no, no i want your voice to impact the way i that's do right. ministry yeah that's right and I, I think it goes even deeper actually too because uh we in our church at soul revival we dress like people in the southern shire uh, but i remember being told by an american visiting um, church growth speaker once that actually christian pastors need to dress above the rest of the community so they'll get respect so you look at the community you minister to and then you dress a bit better than them you spend a bit more money on your clothes and then they'll respect you as and i always thought that was a bit of maybe it's the egalitarian part of me as an australian the tall poppy syndrome mm. but it, it's the egalitarianism in the sense that you know everyone's equal well that's the myth in australia isn't it that we we're all mates mm. and we shouldn't no everyone should have a fair go that's what i mean by that uh in that context but what, what we've experimented with a bit here at Soul Revival is we'll wear baseball caps in church and wear T-shirts in church when we're leading services. And some people find that uh, a little uh, unsettling because it's like I'm not dressing up in a collared shirt and chinos and some nice dress shoes. But what I, I say to people when they come up to me and ask me why am I wearing a hat in church, I'll say, uh, you know, sometimes people have scriptural issues with that which we could talk about another time we don't have time to go into that right now but what we are trying to do is go well people in Sutherland Shire will go out to an expensive restaurant down at Cronulla and wear a baseball cap to dinner people will wear a t-shirt to a more formal and so we're actually just missional we contextualize we're actually just doing what other you know if you go to the soccer this is how people dress at, at local football clubs or when they go and see the Sharks play and it's not about uh, and I, I think we do have to give God honour, and we have to also um, not dress in in a in a way that is completely disrespectful. And obviously, that's a fairly a different scale for different people. But what what we have found is in the Sutherland Shire, there's over fifty percent of people are trades people and work in trades. But in the churches, the statistics are that only two percent of our churches have trades people in the churches. At Soul Revival, because we have been a little bit more accessible, I suppose, for tradespeople. There's 17% of our community are, are people who work in trades. And so there is a, a missional element to trying to say, let's not just be a church for middle-class people. Let's be a church for everyone. And so 
what does that look like? And, and that's where, like I said, there's, it opens up a whole can of worms, doesn't it? About difficult conversations about is it okay to wear a hat in church? Isn't it disrespectful? Or is it is it a shame for a man to cover his head in church? I mean, we can have all those kind of conversations. Uh, but that's what we're encouraging through this podcast, isn't it? That we have the conversation. I'm more fearful of not having the conversation than having the difficult conversation. So I think if people are not talking about how we can talk about dressing or not dressing for the gospel, that that can be difficult. But it's even worse if we just assume everyone who's going to come is going to be like us. And if they are a bit different to us, then that's wrecking what we're trying to do here um, another small example of that is even the conversations we have in church can actually put people off uh, i remember sitting in church listening to two guys talking uh, one day and picking up on what tim was saying about uh, income the two guys were saying that they had jet skis and another guy came into the conversation and they said to him he was new to the church and they said to him oh you should come jet skiing with us you should get yourself a jet ski and the guy's like oh and i said oh um I just jumped in and I said, oh, don't worry if you can't get a jet ski. You're welcome to just go and ride on there. Say, because what I was worried about being communicated was I don't want people to think that you have to be able to spend $20,000 on a, on a pastime in order to be part of the church. Now, I don't think the two guys talking about jet skis would have for a second wanted to give the impression that you could only be accepted here if you mm. could buy a $20,000 jet ski. But it was sort of starting to that person's mind oh do i need to get a jet ski to fit in with these guys so i can be friends with them and be part of this church because straight away that's going to count out a lot of people who can't mm. afford that i'm just wondering um i think it's a really good point by the way Stu. uh we, we're talking about um being more missional and you were talking about um to have more informal organic time around our gatherings is that perhaps the way that one of the ways that we can embrace and or critique culture that public gathering thing of you were talking about um uh, a lot of the we're very middle class but a lot of different classes uh, uh, say a working class background would be doing that a lot more in public i remember michael tuckett in the episode talking about how we do everything very much in public where um, a lot of westerners hide, hide it behind closed doors like you've talked about as well so is that having that formal and informal time uh, especially informal time for those kind of things is that where you're going with how we can still be missional yeah, well, Ian was talking uh, in the podcast we had him on is that some of the collectivist impulses of other cultural groups can be a corrective mm. to our hyper-individualism. And I think that Michael Duckett is a good example of that with Aboriginal churches. There's uh, more of a uh, public openness towards things. There, there are lots of churches around uh, that aren't middle class and, and I think it would be good for people in middle class churches to, to visit other churches to get a sense of how other people uh, worship God together in those contexts. But one thing I think is really important and that is that that we're actually willing to change, that we don't have to just have a cultural representation of church that we're comfortable with. And again, uh, Ian Hussey was saying that the danger of the homogeneous unit principle is that we create comfortable context for people to be with other people like themselves, not negating the fact that it has missional outcomes that are terrific, that if you don't have to cross cultural barriers to hear the gospel, that's a good thing. But that story I told earlier about those teenagers who came down the driveway, 
suggests to me it is possible to cross cultural boundaries in mission if we are open to embrace difference and not sameness. Uh, so we, we really do need to have a good hard think to ourselves. Are we willing to embrace people who are different to ourselves? And that is uncomfortable because I don't always know what questions to ask or what to say. I might accidentally uh, make someone else uncomfortable by talking about a pastime I'm interested in. But it's worth the effort to engage in that discomfort and embrace it and to do that for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I see in in Jesus' ministry that he taught his disciples many, many times in public. And I love the beginning of Matthew 5 where where it talks about Jesus sitting the disciples down and teaching them and the crowds gathered around the edges. I think what would be really exciting in Australian churches in the 2020s is that we look at how can we interface with the crowds better as a church. It could be that do we sometimes do a church service outside in a park? Uh, I'm about to get in the car and go to Brewarrina after I finish this podcast and I'm going to drive about 10 hours away from Sydney to be with Isaac and Eileen and the Brewarrina Church up in uh, Brewarrina, which is in northwestern New South Wales, right up near the Queensland border. And Isaac's invited me to speak at his church tomorrow night and his church will be meeting in the park and we'll be doing what's called an open-air church service where we will preach and sing and have fellowship and what's really good about a public service like that when we're allowed to do it and we've got permission from the local authorities to do it is that you have a semi-permeable membrane around the edge of the church where I don't know if you're familiar with that term but a semi-permeable membrane is where uh, where you know when you have um, a membrane like that the particles that are inside can go outside and the particles that are outside can come inside. So water, for example, can go in and out of a semi-permeable membrane. So the water outside of the membrane can go in and the water inside can go out. And I think that culturally we've created uh, the opposite of that in many of our churches where it's it's a permeable membrane. It's really difficult to actually come into that. And by going outside on the grass uh, with our school ministry for many years, just like in Brewarrina, doing Christian um, ministry together outside means that when we go into a school at Kirawi High School where we're allowed to sit out on the grass and do Bible study on the grass, I can stand on the grass and uh, do a Bible study with the Christian kids that are there and non-Christian kids who are just walking around, number one, can see us. They can also see that we're just normal people and we're just sitting around talking about things sometimes that they're interested in and sometimes a, a waft of an idea might just go past their ears and they can come and sit on the edge of that gathering without joining it and they can just listen and I think that's what's being captured there in Matthew 5 Jesus is teaching his disciples one of the most beautiful sermon well probably the well the the most beautiful sermon like the sermon on the mount and as he's saying Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, there's people in the crowds that are going, wow, I wonder what he means by that. And then he'd tell parables so that the people, yeah, I, I mean, it's just a beautiful example of what I think we can recapture. And I think it's great we've got all our church buildings, but I think if we can not only individually get outside our church buildings to be in the community, but get outside the church buildings together, that is a really exciting prospect to me. So, yeah, that's one thing I think the chats teaches me that, uh, there are groups that do similar things. Um, I think we've got to be careful, though, as we do it. Sometimes I hear young adults say, oh, we, you know, the people at the pub don't come to church, so we're going to go to the pub and we're going to be Christians there so that they can become Christians. 
and and I hear people talking about evangelism in pubs and I say be very careful because I've often seen more people evangelised by the pub than I've seen people come out of that pub culture. But what, what we did in the early 90s was we identified, yeah, a lot of the teenagers go to the pub more than they come to the church, but they also go to school. And you know, if we're allowed to go and hang out with them and teach the Christian kids at school, and we can do that out on the grass and other people can be welcome to come and listen or not, it's opt-in, opt-out. Uh, you know, there's a whole heap of really helpful government regulations around that now that if people want to join a group like that, they can get a permission note from their families. So if they walk past and hear something interesting, they can go home to their mum, hey, can I grab a permission note to go along with that group next mm. week? But at least they know that they're welcome if they'd like to come. And I think maybe that's where I'll end that, is that are we welcoming to people like the people who listen to the chats? That's cool. Any final words there, Tim, before we wrap up the episode? Well, yeah, I think that last idea about being evangelised by the world rather than evangelising the world is just a really good one to hold on to because we can have good intentions to go and, and be missional in these different proximities without actually having change being seen and us being opting into that. And it's also easy to think, oh, I'm being missional when actually I'm just chasing the things that I really want to do that aren't um, Spiritualising what you want to do. Yeah. That's right, yeah. I had a conversation with the church a number of weeks ago now thinking about their Sunday morning programs and it's a church that's uh, close to the beach and they were saying a lot of our families engage in nippers. You know, would it, should we do nippers, encourage our families to do nippers in the morning so that they can learn those skills and they can be Christian influence in those places and then come do a, a kids' ministry in the afternoon uh, and invite those nippers to the afternoon. And we talked back and forth about a number of different pros and cons. And I said, oh, well, okay, what if, what if you all, as all of the families in your church, said, hey, because for the sake of mission, we're all going to go to this particular clubhouse on the beach and we're going to join the nippers there. Um, and immediately one of the people in the conversation said, oh, except I don't live closest to here. I live down the, one, down the road, so I'd probably go to that one. Uh, and they go to this one, and all of a sudden I was like, "What are you actually doing it to be missional, or actually you just try you want your kid to do nippers, and this is a convenient <laughs> way to get your nippers in and your church in in the most convenient way for you and your family?" Uh, and I think that could be the same whether it's the pub, whether it's you know, joining a soccer club, all of these things which can sound spiritualized and sound, can sound missional, but. I think it's a good thing for us to stop and to check our own motives and to be thinking, okay, but am I doing this just to, uh, as you say, spiritualise my own preferences or is it actually putting me out? Um, for, for me to go and join nippers, man, that would be missional because, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm I don't do a lot of surf, swimming in the surf. Um, but there's other things that I could easily do. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to go to you know, punk rock shows every weekend and I'm going to be a Christian in all of those places um, and that's going to be my ministry. And I was like, well, really? Or are you just enjoying the music and the pub scene? So, yeah, we have to think about those. But I love that idea of the semi-permeable membrane and I think that that example of the, the young crew walking into the church property and playing basketball is a good example. Part of the semi, yeah, that's exactly what that was. Yeah, yeah. and it's also the same. I know that um, our ministries here, both our kids and our youth ministries on Friday nights will often go into the park across the road and run just their usual thing in the park. So it is in the open. Um, and that way you've got the community listening. You've got other teenagers who just happen to be playing basketball or soccer who are seeing this other group of 
confident Christians. Confident Christians is a great phrase. Mm. Yeah, who just, they love Jesus. And here mm. they are loving Jesus. And then they all sit down um, and a young adult will stand up and open the Bible in the middle of this public place and just read the Bible. And mm. yeah, the teenagers that have been swearing and drinking and playing basketball will go, what is going on over there? And again, that just creates that semi-permeable membrane where they're able to, go that's really weird what are you guys oh we're a church you know oh we we just we love jesus we love playing soccer so here we are playing soccer and loving jesus Mm. at the same place and so that that confidence of not having the cultural cringe i think we've talked about that before on the podcast but just being confidently christian but also just being able to be out and about i think that's really positive um and so that we are accessible um yeah yeah, I think I don't know if I got the pemi. I don't know if I got permeable? the opposite. Is, is that? Is, yeah, that's right. So semi-permeable <laughs> membrane. The opposite is permeable membrane. Is that correct? I think I, so. I'm not sure if I've got that right, but I've got to go of, back to Year Nine Science. Yeah, yeah. one of our <laughs> listeners. Or, or well, I think permeable would be us. completely in and out. So yeah, so no, non-permeable. Non-permeable. I think that's probably what I. So I think Someone I said the wrong thing. Someone can correct us in the comments. That's right. Yeah. So if there's any scientists listening, we'd love your feedback. But I think the general idea is pretty clear. Like just to. To do that, I love yeah. what you said about a confident Christian too, mm. Tim. Because I think the thing that we can embrace with the chats is their confidence and their fun and their, yeah, their frivolity and, and their frivolity yeah. and the fact that they don't really care what people think of them. And I think maybe Christian teenagers sometimes care a little bit too much about what people think of their faith. And if we can encourage and embolden Christians to be a bit more like the chats, and I think that's why I like punk music as a Christian. I think I've somehow connected that with i think the actions in the church i reckon jesus following jesus is awesome and i think having fun doing that together as well as we we have a saying at soul revival where we have sober joy so we have a sobriety in the knowledge that we come together to uh in the name of jesus and that god is the god of the whole universe and that gives a sobriety to what we do but then there's also a joyfulness in being together as christians as well and so the 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 idea of being in public and having fun together and then sitting down reading the bible together is a good example of that sober joy and i think that's what the chat says to me more than anything actually rather than seeing them as this different kind of people that i somehow need to reach i feel like they've taught me to be a to just relax with being who i am and embrace it and enjoy it and just as they're digging back into the traditions of the you know, the pub and the smoko and the, those things that are quintessentially Australian. What is it to be quintessentially Christian? Can we get excited about being quintessentially Christians? And, and you know, that, that our values and our, you know, our identity in Christ is actually really exciting. And we have this to enjoy and we have so much to live for because Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full, not mm. don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And I think what deconstructs the church from being an institution to being what it actually is which is a family a big group of friends is when people see our relationships and actually can be a part of uh having a bit of fun with us as well as coming to church and being uh obviously having a lot of sobriety together but there's also the joy that in there as well but if we as the church can have our social time together sometimes in public then that means that people can come and join with us in a way that they might not feel like they could do people drive past churches every day and never once think i wonder what's happening in there and go in there to go and see but if we're out in in having a picnic and someone's reading a bible i've I've had this happen multiple times where people have gone oh what are you reading tell me about that uh going back to the pub thing too we're not saying don't go to the pub um, and have a pub feed we've all just celebrated we all like a pub feed 
but just be careful you go into the pub with your identity and you come back out of the pub with your identity and if you don't feel strong enough to do that go in with other people who are or don't go to that particular place until you're stronger as a Christian. But one person I think I want to give a shout out to who's done that really well in the past is a, a young friend of mine called Riley Spring. And when he first started going to the pub with his friends, he used to be like a Christian version of the chats where he'd deconstruct the whole pub thing by getting a schooner of milk. And he'd go in there and, and he'd have a lot of fun <laughs> saying, I'll have a schooner of milk, please. And then he'd sit there boldly drinking his milk as though it was a beer. Having a, and his friends thought it was hilarious and used to have a lot of fun. So that's his version of having a mullet walking into a pub. Mm. He's deconstructed their world. And all of a sudden they became the institution and they were the institutional reality because they were gambling, they were drinking, they were smoking. And to be different to that was saying, actually, I'm not going to fit into what you say I have to be. And Australians find that appealing, that when someone's got the courage to go, actually, you're all saying you're anti-institutional, but look at the institution you've built. As Christians, we're going to go into that institution and we're going to mess that up, just like the chats want to walk in and mess up other institutions. We're messing this up. So we're not drinking, actually. We don't need to, to be having social time. Oh, but you have to. Why? Who says? The institution of the pub that says you have to gamble and you have to drink. Well, actually, I like drinking milk and I'm going to drink it. And so everyone, if you do it in the right attitude with humility and fun, I think it can be a bit like the chats. That's something we can definitely learn from them. I, I, I don't know. Have you ever seen the Democracy Manifest guy? No, no. So <laughs> there's, there's a guy called Paul Charles Dozer and he was um, in the early 90s, he was recorded um, being arrested and he's talking, this is democracy manifest. And it's um, like, what's the charge? Eating a meal, a succulent Chinese meal? <laughs> they took him out of a Chinese restaurant. And, but they, the chats put him in their Dine and Dash, the song Dine and Dash in the um, uh, music video. Right. So just capturing that uh, frivolous aspect, I think mm. is pretty cool, but doing it in a way that uh, really shines a light on Jesus mm. rather than says we need to be part of this culture as well. Yeah, we don't really copy cool. the culture, yeah. we be Christian, yeah. but we're not afraid of them either. Yeah. And maybe we might even hang out with them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Well, that's a really good way to end. So thank you very much, guys, for uh, joining us on this podcast. It's been a, a very uh, interesting chat, again, as usual, about the chats. Um, uh, that is actually the last episode for 2021, guys. Uh, thank you very much for jumping on board with us at any time during 2021. Uh, we will uh, take a pause on recording... Uh, new episodes but uh, doesn't mean we're not releasing content because in the next few weeks we're going to bring out uh, content from our Shockers Orba conference back in October which will be uh, very exciting and hopefully you gain a lot of value from that uh, but for now we will say thank you very much thank you for listening thank you for watching all across this year we really appreciate it and uh, we'll finish up with as usual with a one way one way, one way.